This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. The most significant character or person in the end times is Christ. Exactly. It is not the Antichrist because it is about his kingdom that is to come. But often Christians are looking for the Antichrist and we're trying to figure out what time is it? Is he here? Who is he? And we've got to stop doing that. We've got to look at scripture and say, what is the description that we have? And then figure out beyond that, uh, what time it is in terms of the end times and not the other way around. We don't want to start looking immediately. And so I want to show you a couple of slides because since the day of Martin Luther, the, every single pope has been accused of being the Antichrist. Uh, they can't all be the Antichrist. Now, they can be an Antichrist, and John talks about there are many Antichrists to come, but not the Antichrist. And since John F. Kennedy, every single U.S. president has been accused of being the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy being the first because he was Catholic. Well, again, that is not a good way to do it. So let's run through some slides. There you go. The first one was Nero. Why? Because in Hebrew, some say in Latin, his name, and if you can read it in the Hebrew, you'll see that it actually says Neron, uh, Kaiser, and because that ends on 666. Okay, uh, true, but he was just a character within this. Uh, was he an antichrist? Well, he killed his mother. That's not a good excuse to be the antichrist. That doesn't make you... Well, he persecuted Christians. True, a lot of people did. They're not the Antichrist because of that. His name ended on 666 in Hebrew. That's true, but if you know biblical Hebrew, you know that every letter in the alphabet is connected to a number. Aleph is 1, A is 1, B is 2. You know, you, you can work out somebody's number. The problem with that is that lots of people's names could end on 666. So that's not a way to identify him. You've got to look at all of the options. More recently, we had uh, people like Ronald Reagan. Why? His wife wore a red dress. It's like, hang on, who makes this stuff up? That's not a description. He lived on a street number with 666 in it. Okay. 666 is important in the Bible, but... In 1 Kings, it's also mentioned there as a weight of gold. The number in itself is not significant. It is only significant when we can actually connect it to the Antichrist. And otherwise, it is pure speculation. Not a good thing. Remember Gorbachev? Yeah, he had the mark of the beast on him, didn't he? (laughs) I wonder if he could actually trade and sell and buy with that mark. Because that's what you can do with that mark. If you don't have the mark of the beast, then you cannot trade and sell. Well, he couldn't trade and sell with that mark, I can tell you that. So that is num- like numbingly boring to state that again, but it is nonsense. Uh, he had a, a world empire. Lots of people had an empire. Again, that is not the definition of the Antichrist. Not only that, the Antichrist will be the final world ruler over all the earth before the coming kingdom. 
He didn't rule over all the earth. He doesn't qualify. I like this one, really. Um, Don't you like him? (laughs) He had no regard for women. Okay, but in the context, we've got to explore what that means. Because that little phrase is significant. And we've got to figure out where he will come from and why that he has, why he will have no regard for that. Uh, he was creepy looking. Lots of people are creepy looking. Not, you're, you're, you're the exception to the rule. You are all wonderful people. But let's be honest. Sometimes we do meet people that are not so good looking. That doesn't make them the Antichrist. Joe Van Kufring, you may have never heard of him. He's a famous uh, end-time preacher in the U.S. He mentioned that the crown prince then of Jordan, he was the Antichrist. Uh, because he had no regard for women. He, he was married to three different women at the time. Uh, that's nonsense. His name, he said, ended on 666, but it didn't. It's a simple calculation that you can make. We can't speculate on that. It either fits or it doesn't fit. And if it doesn't fit, let's not add titles to it and see to make it fit. His name didn't fit. Not only that, he was a man of peace. But the Antichrist will not be a man of peace. He had many degrees. Well, Joe thought that that was significant. It's not significant. Barack Obama, remember him? Because he was different from all the other kings. All the other kings in the U.S. had to be white presidents. This one happened to be black. (laughs) He rose from obscurity. Now that's interesting because that can connect to the Antichrist, but it doesn't make him the Antichrist. He is a Antichrist, but not the. That's fine. We can deal with that part. And then the final one, you guessed it, The sad thing, though, with this one is this. There are people who proclaim him the Antichrist. And why? Because Nostradamus made a prophecy that said there are three Antichrists coming, Napoleon, Hitler, and Trump. Who Who is Nostradamus? He is not in my scripture. Maybe he's in some Bible in the book of Lamentations or the book of Hesitations, or one of those books, but not in my Bible. The really sad thing is, though, that some Christians have flipped, and they've now gone the other way. And what they've done is they made him, uh, this is more on the Antichrist. I mean, it's like, it's the whole books are written about this. Next one. They've made him into Donald Trump the Messiah. Now, not only that, this author, this is interesting. This is written by who? By God, Yahweh. How delusional do you have to be to think that you're writing, this is then, if this was the word of Yahweh, this would be scripture. I mean, it is ridiculous. Next one. There's the second book. I mean, so I wrote Oive because who would think of that? And You know, she's now connecting him to the harbinger, the blood moon, the day of the Lord. I mean, these are all bad things. Next one. Donald Trump. 
his name also is significant because if we if we manipulate his name and look at the title of Messiah, the Hebrew letters are again interesting. But this is not scripture. This is man's fantasy. This is what we make up. And we cannot do that. If this is God's word, then we should tremble at his word and not make it up to suit our particular fancy. This is what she wrote, and this is interesting. Jesus' spirit is now here among us and in the midst of us, and it is the Christ Messiah, the spirit of him, taking up a boat and walking with and within Donald Trump, whose name stands for Messiah, God, and Holy Spirit. You see, that's the other extreme. So we have people who are proclaiming, here we have the Antichrist, and here we have the Messiah. We have the Messiah. He's clearly revealed in Scripture. We cannot go there. In terms of the Antichrist, he too is revealed in Scripture. And so what we need to do is study who he is. You want to just hang on with the questions? I, I, we will come to that, without a doubt. Second Thessalonians, what are we told to do? Don't be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed. Let no one in any way deceive you. That's the key for us, isn't it? That's what we need to do. So how do we do that? Study the word. And apply the scriptures with great care, but not with great fantasy. That's what we need to do. Let's not read into the scriptures. Uh, lots of people do that. Lots of rabbis do that. Let's not do that. Let's read the scriptures and figure out what his names, what his titles are. This is a quote by uh, Saul uh, Lieberman, I think. Yes, Saul Lieberman. He was uh, one of the great uh, Chacham, the, the, the great uh, rabbinical theologian uh, from the previous generation. And he was speaking about uh, Gershom Shalom, who was the first Hebrew professor uh, on mystical Judaism. And what does he say? Nonsense is nonsense. And he's talking about all of those mystical interpretations. But the history of nonsense, that's scholarship. In other words, we can study nonsense. The problem is with the study of many books, there is no end. And nonsense remains nonsense. And we may get a PhD in the history of nonsense, but it's still nonsense. And that's the scary thing. So having said all of that, that was a long introduction, wasn't it? You'll forgive me. I have different slides, so I'm going to keep looking over my shoulder. We're going to study him by looking at the titles that we have about him, because that'll be helpful to us. Let's see if I can go there. Yes, okay. No, mine, I have a different slide. Sorry? No, 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 just keep it on that one. Uh, I'm going to just go back one. Yeah. So, in 1 John 2, yeah, I just have a different outline, and that's my own mistake. And that's okay, I will survive that. Let's look at 1 John. 
and 2. Because he gives us a warning of the Antichrist. And what is it, is, what is it that he's saying? Children, the last hour is coming, and as you've heard, that the Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. Many have come. And there are some of the people that we've seen, and there are some of the people that are spousing this kind of nonsense. They are Antichrist in spirit, but they are not the Antichrist who is to come. He is the most significant person. John, in verse 22, then says, Who is he? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. You see, the Antichrist will do that per excellence. But all of the Antichrist, the plural, those who deny it, will do this as well. And so this is a general characteristic. There's both the singular, who is to come, and there are the many, and they're already then at that time, and they're here today. Now, we use the term the Antichrist as the most common reference to him. That's not scripturally true. In the scriptures, we see the most common term that is applied to him is the beast. Now, there are two beasts mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, There's the first beast and the second beast. The first beast comes out of the earth. The second beast comes out of the sea. And these are different. Now, the sea, when it is used symbolically, is generally a reference to the nations. And that would indicate that the land would be a general reference to the Jewish people. Now, the first one is the Antichrist, and the second one is the false prophet. Now, these two work closely together, but when we talk about the Antichrist, we mean the first beast. And the main reference there in the book of Revelation would be chapter 13, but there are many references to him, and it's the most common title. And it says this, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. So when does he have full power? Well, somewhere during that seven-year period, there is that 42 months period, that half of that tribulation time. Most likely, and this is where I'm going to go to, it's the second half of the tribulation period. Because at that point, he will make war with all of the saints. Now, he opens his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling place. Now, his name, that means his character. His dwelling place, that's heaven. And those that dwell in heaven, well, who's currently in heaven? Holy angels. He's against them. Moses and Elijah and Christian saints who died after the death of Christ, those that are in Christ, absent of the body, present with the Lord, so they are there. So these are the sanctified ones, and he's against them, and he's blaspheming them. But the blasphemy will be directly, specifically against God himself. Note verse 7, And it was allowed to make war on the saints. In other words, God gives him the permission to make war on the saints and to conquer them. 
Now, when we read saints in the book of Revelation, we've got to figure out when we are. Because what John sees is three things. He sees the past, the present, and the future. In the past, he sees the risen Christ, chapter 1. In the present, he sees chapter 2 and 3, the churches. And then he's talking about the future. Since this is in chapter 13, it is the future that he is describing. These are tribulation saints. And so he opens his mouth and he makes war with the sorry. And so he's allowed to make war with the saints. It's the tribulation saints. And he's allowed to conquer them. In other words, he will overcome the saints at that time. Who were the main saints at the time? Well, there's two, two witnesses. True. There are two individuals who will come, who will die and will be resurrected. But from them come the 144,000. And from them comes that great multitude. So there are many with whom he will make war. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation. He will conquer the world. And all the people who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, sorry, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The whole world will be going after him because of what he is able to do. In other words, he is not a normal person. Not only will he conquer in terms of military, but he will be doing other things. He is so significant in that sense that we need to understand his human and his non-human origin. The prince that shall come. Now there are many titles in the book of Daniel. And these are just some of them. And they will help us understand a little bit about him. Daniel 9, 26 and 27 are key verses here. Because they will describe his origin. And they will describe titles to him. So let's look at them. This is in the context of the 70 week prophecy. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. In other words, this is after that the Messiah will be cut off. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, who were the people that destroyed the sanctuary? When Daniel wrote this, the Babylonians had come and gone. He is writing prophecy here. Who are the people who are yet to come? They're the Romans. The Romans will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. That happens essentially in two wars that the Jewish people have. In the year 70, the temple is destroyed and much of the city. And in the year 132, when they are cast out of the land. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be wars and desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many. For one week. Suddenly we're introduced to a he. Who is this he? Well the he goes back to the nearest antecedent. That's the prince of the people. The prince here is the antichrist himself. And what will he do? In the middle of the week. That's the week of the tribulation. In the middle of the week. He will put a stop to the sacrifice. And the grain offerings. And the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. 
Even until a complete destruction, one is that one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. What will he do? He will stop the sacrifice. Well, we know from Scripture that the next temple that the Jewish people will build will not be the, the Messianic temple or the temple of God. Uh, there are four temples mentioned in Scripture, and this is the third temple. So this is not the right temple. Uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 to 5, talk about this, for instance, that we cannot go and worship there. This person, though, will make a firm covenant. Now, to make a firm covenant with the Jewish people, you need to be somebody. Now, they made a covenant, that's true, with Yasser Arafat, but it wasn't a firm covenant. It wasn't a covenant that Israel thought he would keep. But they have made other military covenants that they thought they could keep. But the covenant that they'll make is a covenant of death, because that's where it will lead to. And so this character will not be honest and not be true to his word. Not only that, he will cause the oblation, the sacrifice, to cease and create an abomination. Now the abomination that he's referring to here is the himself setting up in the temple, and we'll get to that. When he does that, initially he does that by himself and for himself, by walking into the temple. In the second stage of that, he will actually create or get an image created of himself and put that in the temple. It is at that point that the Jewish people realize, hey, this is not a covenant of life, this is a covenant of death, and they will walk away at that point. Now he's called the desolator because that's exactly what he does. He makes desolate. He is the destroyer. And he makes the abomination. The little horn from the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. Now in Daniel chapter 7, we see that he's being described as one of the horns. Now there are ten horns in the vision. And there is a time coming when there will be a ten kingdom nation over all the earth. Now, there are people today who are saying, well, we need to look at the context and say, Daniel was writing about Babylon and then about Rome. So this is about Rome, and Rome needs to be revived into ten nations. And they look at the European Union and say, one day it will be split again into ten states. Well, the European Union was never ten states. It was twelve states at the beginning, and from there it went on to twenty-two, twenty-five, twenty-eight. It doesn't fit. Not only that, when he takes over, he will be the ruler of the world. So these ten nation states that are to come will actually rule over the world. And so in that sense, they are much more significant than this. What is it that he does? He will, from that horn, break off three other horns. Now the three other horns that he plucks up is another word for killing them. Now, the word horn generally means a, a ruler or strength. In this case, it's the ruler who's being described. So he is taking out three of the ten kings to come. He therefore becomes that next ruler, and the other seven will submit to him. And so, yes, he is a little horn, 
But the little horn is particularly blasphemous against God himself. So he is, he is a very significant character at this point. Now when we look at the book of Revelation, we see that there is a great correlation. And so the, the little horn that is described, the context is chapter 7, verse 7 to 28, to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. And essentially what he wants to do is exactly the same. What does he do? Devour the earth. That's what he does on the other side. They will worship him. In other words, he will be the authority over it. And this has to then do with both Babylon in terms of the religious sphere and Babylon the political sphere. Those two are now joined under the one head. And so being the one head, he will rule over all of it. Anybody who up to this stage has been named as the Antichrist did not have authority over the world, nor authority over all of the religious component. Now he will not be a lover of that religion because ultimately he wants to draw all worship to himself and from him back to Satan. So when we see a true satanic worship, that's what we'll see coming up at some stage. Now the saints will be given into his hand and he'll make war with the saints and is over, uh, able to overcome it. The beast that was slain will have his dominion taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever. And at that point we can understand that his kingdom will only be short. Now the ministry of Christ only lasted about three and a half years. The ministry of the Antichrist in likewise will only be there for about three and a half years. The difference is when he comes back, the ministry of Christ will be almost a thousand years. And we often talk about the millennial kingdom, and to some degree I don't like the title, because a, a millennial just means a thousand years. But it isn't about a thousand years, it is about the messianic king, about the messianic person. So it really should be called the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, or something a little bit longer. But we like to abbreviate things, and so the messianic kingdom would be a better term. And that will be a thousand years, or nearly a thousand years, compared to three and a half years. But within that time, he will have a, like a meteoric rise in both power, both politically and religiously. We dealt with Daniel 7, let's deal with Daniel 8.23. And depending on the translation, it'll read slightly different. He will be either called the king of fierce countenance or the insolent king. And then it says, depending on the translation, skilled in intrigue. A better translation would be that he has understanding of dark enigmas or dark sentences or dark riddles. And this is a reference to the occult. He, he will not just be a smart guy, he will be filled with the wisdom of the occult. And so he is, in that sense, against everything that God stands for, and therefore he is the king of fierce countenance, in that he is fiercely against God. 
Now his power will be mighty, verse 24, but not by his own power. In other words, the kingdom that he will reign over is not because of who he is, but because of from whom he derives power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree. Uh, Some translations will say the word wonderful degree. Uh, The word there is pele, and wonderful would be the correct translation. Literally, uh, extraordinary is a good word, uh, but this is a word that applies to only spiritual beings. In other words, he will do this because of the spiritual forces behind him. He will prosper and perform his will. And so the power and the might that he gets, not by his own power, he's now getting from somewhere else, and he will make him prosper and perform. And he will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. In other words, because of the power that he receives, he will able to overcome and kill many of the saints at that time. He will destroy them. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be broken without human agency. I like that. Why? Because sometimes we talk about the battle of Armageddon. It's a wrong title. There is no battle at Armageddon. But the final slaughter that will happen will be done by Christ, not by us. We are in a spiritual warfare and he will be slain by Christ himself, not by human interference. That's the key behind that. So it is about what Christ will do. And what he's done in our life is in that sense significant. Let's look at 11.36, Daniel 11.36. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and speaks monstrous things against the god of gods. First of all, he will magnify himself. He will do as he pleases. He will magnify himself above every god. Religious Babylon will incorporate all religions under him. The best context that we have currently today, which is a a wrong context, but I want you to to grasp this, would be Baha'i. Now, they're peaceful people. They wouldn't make war, but they will incorporate all faiths, and that's what he's doing at that point. All faiths will be incorporated into his, because he will be above all of their gods. And against the true God, the God of gods, what does it say? Again, he will speak. That's significant because what did God do at creation? He spoke things into being. So here too, he thinks that he is God and he can do this by speaking into being those things that he wants. The man of lawlessness and the the son of destruction in 2 Thessalonians 2, So let's look there for a second. And we started off with that verse. 
Because we should not be quickly shaken in our mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by a word or a letter, seemingly from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, people were teaching that, and Paul is saying that's not true. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. We talk about lawlessness, and what do we mean? Well, when you break the law. It's not what Paul is referring to. He will change the laws and the customs. In other words, he wants to get rid of the seven days. He will get rid of the biblical laws that we have. These are the laws that he's against. Uh, he, He won't be just a lawless man because he wants all people to obey him. So not lawless in the way we think of it, but lawless as in the sense of removing all of God's laws. Now, to some degree, we already have that spirit working in our nation. Uh, We can be honest and just look around, and what do we see? Well, we see lawlessness. Uh, The things that God has declared, uh, Mardi Gras being just one example, uh, it's just foolishness against God. Secondly, he's called the son of destruction or perdition, depending on the translation. And this would indicate that he himself will become, in the end, lost. He will be the son of hell. In other words, his designation will be that he will end up in hell. And why is that? Because he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God, words from Daniel, an object of worship so that he takes the seat in the temple of God. Seat in the temple of God. Who's seated in the temple of God? Well, the Ark of the Covenant was placed there, and God sat between the cherubim. That's language from the book of Psalms and Second Samuel. So in that sense, he's saying he is like that. And he will proclaim him to be, sorry, and he will proclaim himself to be God. Now, there's not many people that have been so delusional that they said, I am God. Now, sadly, we saw an example of a book where somebody thought they heard the words from God himself. That's not so the case. But there is a time coming when somebody will actually think he is God because of the power that is at work in him. Now in verse 7, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, that's true. That's what they saw then, even more so today. Only he who's restrained, it will do so until he's out of the way. Now we don't really know for sure who the he is here. There are many speculations. Personally, I think it is a ministry aspect of the Holy Spirit. And I may be wrong on this. In the Old Testament, we see that God, the Spirit, came upon people and departed from people. So David legitimately prays, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Within the New Covenant, we are baptized in the one Spirit, and we all have that Spirit permanently indwelled within us. It's a new part of the ministry of God at that, uh, sorry, in our lives, in our um, sense the baptism of the Spirit. And it may well be that God at that point removes a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that he will no longer be restrained. 
other people think it's human government, and I, I don't tend to think this, but it may well be the case, because the human governments to some degree do restrain lawlessness. But I, I tend to go the other way around. So, uh, in, in my opinion, I take it the other way around. Second Thessalonians continues in terms of that he's the lawless one in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Again, now we can see from Daniel who it will do. Not we, but Christ himself. And when will he do that? At his appearance. So until then, until the beginning of the second coming, his spirit will be here in that the lawlessness that we see, but particularly at the end times when he will come. Now the last reference is the most significant reference because when we call people the Antichrist, what did we do to them? Don't insult or don't give insult to the church, to the Jew or to the Gentile. These are words from scripture, but when we call somebody the Antichrist, what are we really saying? Genesis 3. God is speaking, and what does he say? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now the word for seed there is the word Sarah, and it's the same word in both cases. There's no variation. So it's the same word. Now the second seed we recognize, the seed of the woman, well that's Christ, and that's quoted by Paul in Galatians 3. So that makes it easy. Well, who's the seed of Satan then? Because he's the serpent. You see, the seed of Satan is a person who will be physically descended from Satan himself. Now, hang on. Uh, Holy angels, they don't marry, do they? No, that's true. But it doesn't say they are sexless. It says holy angels from heaven, they don't engage in marriage. All angels described in the Bible, without fail, are masculine description. When we look at Genesis chapter 6, we see the sons of God. And the sons of God, what do they do? They seek the women. They take wives for themselves from the daughters of men. This is in Genesis chapter 6, right at the beginning. Their offspring are the Nephilim. Now the word Nephilim means fallen ones. It comes from the root word to fall. And so these are the spiritual giants. These are not humans. They're not angels, but they are a hybrid. Now most hybrids in the animal kingdom cannot breed. So it seems that this one too cannot breed on. That's why he has no regard for women. But he does have, therefore, as his father, Satan himself. Most of these angels involved in Genesis 6, they were locked up in Second Peter 2, 4 and Jude... I forget the chapter, but it's verse 6. Nobody got that. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> they are locked up permanently in confinement. But Satan himself didn't engage. 
Now, Satan is not a common angel. Common angels are described as young men. Over them is one archangel, and he's mentioned, because that's what the word arc means, to be over, and that's the archangel Michael. The next class of angels that is described that is more significant because they have either two to four faces and uh, four to six wings are the seraphim. Seraph comes from uh, the word burning. These are the ones who are close to the altar, close to God himself, and therefore are appearing as burning ones. Now the ark seraph is not mentioned in scripture. The ark seraph is not mentioned in scripture. No. And so there is some speculation over that. I don't have a speculation over that. He's just not mentioned. The next level up would be cherubim and chiruv. It would be the root. And chiruv means to draw near. These are the ones who are closest to God. These again have two to four faces. And these are the most significant of the holy angels. Now, when the holy angels came to God and wanted to dispute with God, some of them fell, and they fell with Satan. Now, Satan is described in the book of Isaiah in chapter 14 and the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, and his fall is described there. And in his description, we see that he is the covering cherub. In other words, he was over all of the other cherubs, so he is the ark cherub. He is the highest level. So when you say to somebody he is the Antichrist, you're actually saying he is the offspring of the highest class of fallen angel and humanity. Now from the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 26, we know he will come from that people that destroyed the temple. Now we worked out that that with the Romans. So the Antichrist on his mother's side will be of Roman origin. On his father's side, he will be the seed of Satan. Now, when we thought back on those images that I showed you right at the beginning of all of those people, how many were of Roman origin? None, I think. Uh, Previous popes were, but that pope wasn't. Not only that, did we know who their father was? Yeah, we could have traced their father. They were not the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a Nephilim, a fallen one. And so he is most significant for the end times. But he will not be the most significant. Because when Christ will come, he will slay him with his breath. And so we want to make sure that we don't accuse people of being the Antichrist. But we do want to be aware that both his spirit... And lawlessness is rampant. And the closer we get to the end times, the more we will see of that kind of ministry because of his father, Satan, who is trying to be the prince of the air, ruling this world. Well, tomorrow we'll look at more of the end times, but at a much happier event. We will look at the Messianic Kingdom. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.